one other item of Thanksgiving that you could have this morning is that when I came in early to fill up the baptism, I also remembered that I needed to set that clock forward an hour there in the back. Otherwise, you probably would have got like an hour and a half sermon right here. That's probably what would have happened. But um, just thankful that the Lord gives us any time at all to be in His Word. We're going to go into Revelation chapter 6 today for a short time. Just going to be honest, it'll probably be a shorter sermon. Why? Because there's a lot of stuff in it. I'm just going to say, I don't know. I don't know. It's just going to be one of those weeks in Revelation. I don't know. Uh, but the Lord does give us a lot of things that we can't understand in there yet. And so let's pray that he will give us understanding as we head into Revelation chapter 6. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, these aren't just words on a page. These are full of life and truth and blessing and conviction. And Lord, the opportunity to not be ignorant about the past or to not know what's going to happen in the future, uh, that we might be stable in the present, Lord. We know that you're in control of everything from beginning to end. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would commit us into a place of having faith, of just trusting you, and that that faith would cause us to be faithful. We'd stand firm and live for Christ even when days get tough. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help my mind and heart and my lips be faithful. I pray that you would help all of our ears to be dug out so that we might hear and respond to the word as God, uh, the word of God as you would hope for. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please pick one up on the back table as you leave. Those are free. They're exactly like this one I have in my hand. They're great Bibles. If you need a Bible, take one. Read it. We would love for you to have it, and we'll buy more. Uh, we want to make sure everybody has a Bible. But if if you don't have a Bible in your pew uh, this morning, you're welcome to look up on the screen while I read. We've been going through the book of Revelation. The book starts out by saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is saying, this is going to tell us all about Jesus. So there's portions of Revelation where we're going to say, you know what, I don't quite know. Lots of people might argue about those things. We're not going to. We're going to come to them and say, the Lord hasn't revealed us to it uh, in total yet, but we do know this. It's about Jesus and what he's going to get done in the perfection of his plan. Okay, and so we're going to go to the Revelation chapter six today. We just saw in the last couple of chapters that Jesus is presented as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is up high on his throne. Everything in that throne room is worshiping him from living creatures that are there, the cherubim or the 24 elders that are around his throne or the entire crowd and sanctuary in the sanctuary there. They all just worship Jesus constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they just go on worshiping the Lord. Well, a scroll is given that is rolled up and has seven seals on it. And last week we saw that John begins weeping because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. But then he's told, look, there's one who's worthy. It's the Lion of Judah. So he turns around to look at the lion, and there he sees a lamb that was slain. Jesus at one time is presented as the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God the one who is the king who gave up his life and shed his blood to redeem, to buy people out of sin and death and to live forever by forgiving them of their sins. And so when John looks at Jesus, he sees the worthy lamb of God, and he is the one who is worthy to break open the seven seals on that scroll. And so today we go through, and those seals are going to be broken open uh, one by one, at least the first six of them, and we're going to see... Um, how those go. So read with me if you would as we begin breaking those seals as he does in verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, 
and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So boom, 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 boom. The first four seals get broken. Each one of them, as they're broken, has one of the living creatures say, come. As they say, come, a rider comes out on a horse. They have various colors as they come. As they come, different things begin to happen. The first one says there was a, a crown that was given and it was given to conquer. So conquering has happened. The second one goes on and talks about when he comes, uh, peace is taken from the earth. And so people were slaying one another. The third one, as he says, come, scales were given. And, and it, what happens is the markets are disrupted where people are giving a whole day's wage to try to get uh, food, just this little bit of food. And yet the oil and the wine are preserved. They're, they're doing fine, but the wheat over here, so the market's just going topsy-turvy. And then the fourth one comes out, the rider comes and it says, that one comes with death and Hades. And so here's all these things, and, and I don't know about you, when I read that, I'm like, I don't really know how to understand that. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know fully how to comprehend that, but what God, Jesus told John was that, I'm going to show you the things that are going to come. So he's saying, these are going to happen in the future, and a lot of times what God does in the scripture is, he gives us prophecy, and in the moment he gives it, it's hard for us to understand, but what the Lord doesn't say is, I want you to understand it now. What he says is, I want you to watch. Watch for these things, and when they be start coming, I'll reveal it to you. I'll reveal it to you. So some of these things may actually be already starting. Some of these things, God may already be, have broken those seals and going forward. And it's hard for us sometimes in a wealthy place like America to recognize some of these things already happening. But I can tell you, I think some of those things might already be rolling. Famine, it's happening all over the globe. Wars, conquering, death. In fact, this morning, I know pestilence is for sure out there. I went in there this morning, and there was a grasshopper in my office, okay? There's bugs everywhere, but I don't think it just is uh, related only to little critters. People talk about when you get sick, you get a what? You get a bug, okay? You got viruses, everything going crazy. You got mosquitoes flying around now, everybody's fearful of, and all these things are going. Now, I'm not saying that that is direct fulfillment of this prophecy. I'm just saying it's not unthinkable to know that these things may already be rolling on. Okay, we are to be watching and saying, is this, what, is this what you said would come, Lord? Have you begun breaking those seals or is that something to come? Let's just watch. Let's just watch. I don't know how it's all going to work out, work out, but let's just watch. But he goes on. I want to concentrate on these last two seals as he opens them. Verse 9, he says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar that the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God 
and for the witness they had borne. So the fifth one's broken, and John's allowed to see under the altar. The altar was always in the tabernacle and the temple, and those were representing the altar that's up in heaven, the reality. And so John looks, and underneath the altar, there are a bunch of people because they went out and they spoke about Jesus and lived for Jesus, and they loved his word. As a result of that, as a result of following Jesus, they paid with their blood. They not only lived for Jesus, they died for Jesus. And so they're there waiting at the base of the altar in heaven. And they cry out in the next verse. It says here, uh, they cry out with a loud voice. "O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So they've been martyred. They've been killed. And they say, "Oh, sovereign Lord, that's incredible to me. They were killed, they were murdered, they were persecuted, and they say, but Lord, you are sovereign, you're in control of all things. You are holy and true, we trust you to the very end, but we have a question, how long do we have to wait here until you avenge the blood that we spilt for you, until you have justice? And the Lord comes back with an answer. In verse 11, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so they're told by the Lord, hey, you just need to wait there a little longer. Here's a white robe. You're clean. You're set. You just got to wait until the other ones who are going to be killed for my name are included in the number, the complete number, it says there, of those who will live and die for my name. So if you can imagine these ones are in there, you, you know, you have a dozen eggs, you look in there, you're missing six eggs, you still need six more, right? You look at the altar and they say, how long? He says, not all the eggs are there under the altar yet. There's some more that are going to live and die for me. And we're waiting for them. So wait here a little longer. Here's your white robe. That's significant. Because if you're in heaven, if you're in the Lord's presence, you cannot have a dirty robe. And you cannot be completely naked, right? The Lord needs to clothe you in white. And the only way that that happens is that if Jesus has paid for your sin, his blood goes and washes you clean and you've repented of your sin. He's washed you clean and he clothes you in white. And so he has cleansed them with his blood and now dressed them in white. And they're there. They're set. They're forgiven. They're just waiting until the completion of all things when forever they will join with those who have also died for Jesus and for all of eternity, serve him. Some of those people they may be waiting for might be sitting right in this room. I pray that we are. I pray that we are people, whether in life or death, we would say, I will live for you, I will die for you, whatever you need, Jesus, because I know that you have washed me clean by your blood and that you will clothe me white. And if I need to pay with my life, I will. That's how much I love you. What's really neat about that illustration of them being at the altar throughout the Old Testament when they would go through with consecration of the temple and the sacrifices, you know what they would do with a lot of the, the leftover blood or the blood that was in excess? After they would get done sprinkling all the things around them, they would take the extra blood and they would pour it out at the base of the altar, right where this says the people of Jesus are. He has cleansed them with his blood. He continues to wash them and make sure they are true and holy just like he is. And so you see that illustration all through the scriptures. And now he says, just wait here a little while. Here's a robe and wait. We're almost through. We got to collect some more. And so he goes on and we're going to now open the sixth seal. It says in verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, 
I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This prophecy not only comes here in Revelation as if it was something new, this was already being spoken in the Old Testament. For instance, in Joel chapter 2, Joel says the, literally the exact same thing. And then Peter, on the very first day of the church, when he gives his first sermon, and 3,000 people came to Christ that day, he quotes Joel chapter 2 and says, there is a day that is coming when everything will come on the day of the Lord, but the Lord will take and have signs in the heaven where the sun will be blackened, the moon turned to blood, the, 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 the stars will be white from the sky. And in those moments to come, there is going to become a rending of that heavens and Jesus Christ will be coming in on his white horse. And then it's done. So this is prophesied throughout the scripture. And that's what happens when this sixth seal is broken, that the sky, all the signs go. And you know what? Some of those signs are beginning to happen. There was just a full eclipse this this week that was seen on the other side of the globe. We've been watching the, the consistent blood moons that have been happening and all the things happening in the sky. And the Lord said, these things will go on and they will increase like labor pains. And then, boom, the Lord's going to come. That's why I think the Lord's coming back soon. He's already showing in the skies. We have scientists who the Lord has allowed, through all their knowledge and studies, to build and to study and to examine and to record all the things that are happening in the sky. Unfortunately, not everybody's attributing it to God saying he's coming back. But that's what he says. And so on the sixth seal, that's when it happens. He begins to allow the final signs in heaven to go forward. He goes on and says in verse 15, Then the kings of the earth, after they see these things, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? So as all those signs happen, when that day comes, the Lord's going to have all the signs in heaven take place. And people aren't going to be unaware of what's happening anymore. The scripture says that the mightiest people, kings, generals, the rich... And then he goes on and says, actually, everybody, even the slaves, everybody on earth will recognize not just that something's happening. It says that they know it's the Lamb of God, that they know at that moment he is coming to bring his wrath. What's maybe more startling is that it says that on that day, when the Lord does all those signs and He breaks through and He is coming, that when everybody recognizes that here comes the Lamb of God to bring wrath, instead of going to Him and pleading and saying, Lord God, forgive me. I recognize Your wrath is coming, that I am a sinner and I need help. It says that they go and hide themselves into the mountains and they say, and pray to the mountains, please fall on us and kill us because we would rather suffer under the tonnage of rocks. An avalanche than to have to stand before the holy God and suffer his wrath. That is a huge, huge thing. 
Nobody's going to be unaware. Everybody's going to be aware. And the Scripture says you have one of two choices. You either accept the fact that you will suffer the wrath of God for your sin, that all of us were born into sin. None of us are without exception. If we say we have no sin, the Scripture says we call God a liar. We're all sinners, every last one of us. We come out of the womb wicked and rebellious, and we go through life proving it by doing evil upon evil upon evil. And so you either say, you know what? I know that I'm evil, but I'm going to suffer the wrath of God. And in that wrath, he will destroy you. The scripture goes on to say he will throw you into hell. He will rip you from his presence. That's one of your choices. The second choice is this. Before that day comes, God says that if you come to him and say, Oh, merciful God, please forgive me of my sins. The scripture says that God gave you a big loving gift. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, kings and Lord of lords, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, that He came and took on flesh and He went and He died on the cross. You know what He was doing on that cross? He wasn't just having a bad day. He wasn't just being bullied around. Certainly He was being beaten, flogged and whipped and spat on and injured and scourged and ripped apart and blood flowing out. Certainly it was painful and certainly people were being mean. But what happened on that day when he was suffering under that torment, what was happening was his father was allowing him to be crushed under his wrath. You see, the father was bringing his wrath upon Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wasn't sinful. He didn't need to suffer under the wrath of God. He suffered under the wrath of God so that when you say, Lord, please forgive me, he takes all of your sin and garbage and weakness and death, takes it off of you and puts it onto Jesus the day that he died. That's why he's a sacrifice. He was sacrificed in your place. And so you can either say, God, I don't want your gift and I will face you on that day and I will suffer your wrath. And you may say that in strength now, but on that day you will be hiding in the mountains. And you with everybody else will be saying, I don't want to worship him. I'd just rather die. An eternal death. That's what you're saying. But if the Lord causes a miracle in us whereby somehow we understand and believe his good news that he came and died for us. The scripture says all we have to do is say, yes, I submit. Please forgive me. And in that moment, all of your sin and everything that you had to pay for was paid for by Jesus. He paid your debt. And guess what? You get to go free. You get to live with him forever. You get to be in his presence. He will clothe you in white. He will take away your guilt. He will give you everything you couldn't do for yourself. What a gift. What a gift. And so I can't stand here in Revelation 6 and tell you how everything is going to play out, but I can tell you this for certain. I can tell you how it played out on that day when Jesus died. And I can tell you what it means for you to be free and to be safe. And I can come to you with full confidence and say, don't you go one more minute without saying, Lord, please forgive me. Amen. Because you know what? In that moment, He will. Amen. 
and you will understand freedom. You will understand life and life abundant, and you will understand the full loving grace and mercy of a God who so loves you that he's given six seals to warn you before they ever happen. Why would he do that? Why would he do all those things? Let me illustrate it like this. If you have a drunk, and you've seen this in the movies, and they're so out of it, they don't even understand what's going on around them. What do people do to try to get them aware of what's going on? You see their friends come up to them and slap them, right? Wake up! They'll take the drunk and they'll begin to plunge their head into cold water saying, wake up! You see, they're coming and they're bringing an element of hardship on the drunk. Saying, please come out of your stupor and see what reality is. See, when God allows pestilence and He allows tribulation to come, what He's saying to the drunk sinners of the world, all of us, is wake up. See reality, and before it's too late, seek me and find me and know my forgiveness. This morning, if, if you're wandering around drunk in this life, unawares of who God is and what He's done and what He wants with you, after sitting here today, I hope there's no question. I hope you don't have to wait for six seals to be broken and when the whole world is undergoing earthquakes and wars and all kinds of turbulence that you would already know and you would already be putting your life on the line to tell somebody that you know about Jesus. Don't be that drunk in that day. Be sober now and awake and know who Jesus is. So Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for your word and the truth about Jesus. We thank you that you do that miracle in our hearts that we could not do for ourselves. We pray that you would, if you have saved us, Lord, make us steadfast, that we might be able to, uh, willing to live and die for you. Uh, give us faith, Lord. I pray for those who maybe this first time today might be saying, hey, that's the first time it's ever made sense. But I pray that it would be more than just making sense. I pray that it would be life-changing. That even in this moment, they would pray and say, Lord, please forgive me. May we all call upon your name and say, Sovereign Lord, holy and true. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.